0: Sims. It's a good service this from Southampton. Hello and welcome. This is Saints FC podcast episode number 70 and I am absolutely delighted uh, to have a new guest on the show, someone we've, we've never spoken to on the Saints FC podcast um, and a person that I think most Saints fans are going to be very interested to find out more about and we'll probably hear a lot more from this man over the course of the season. Um, I'm welcoming on Carl Anker from The Athletic. Carl, how the devil are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Um, obviously, all all the better for having you on the podcast today, which is um, a real treat for us, I, I hope. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to do a pretty good job through this, but um, we'll see how we go. Um, so, for those of those of us or those saints fans and, and listeners out there who don't know who you are, um, they may have heard your voice on the totally football show podcast before. Um, they may have read your work on the athletic, which we're going to talk a, a little bit about, but also previously maybe on the independent vice buzzfeed FHM, a, a few others, Carl, I don't know if you want to throw in some, some more on that.
1: Uh, I don't want to take my own horn. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, I'll just say before here, I was at, at the Players Tribune, but you—you you did never a guess where. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had I've had a interesting career since graduating university.
0: Yeah, and uh, you actually went to university in in Bath, is that right? I was, I was looking at yeah, your I went LinkedIn to Bath, profile. Bath. Yeah, that's where I grew oh, up in Bath, you... so you know I, I have a lot of love for Bath. It's a it's a fantastic little city. Yeah. Um, can I push you on finding out what your favourite watering hole or, or nightclub was whilst you were uh, a student?
1: There? I spent so much time in Punanas that when the DJ at Punanars got married, I I got invited to the wedding reception.
0: No way. That's quite impressive.
1: That's a lot of yeah. time going to Uh, <laughs> uh
0: my, my best story about Punanas is um, I once... Uh, asked a girl outside Poonar Nars for a cigarette for my friend and that friend and that girl are now married together so you know from from borrowing a cigarette to marriage 10 years down the line. Um, Anyway we're not here to exchange stories about our Poonar Nars in Bath experiences Um, we are here to talk about Southampton Football Club Um, but also firstly I want to talk a little bit about the athletic um, who you're currently working for now And my first question for you, Carl, is what is The Athletic and why should Southampton fans care? Uh,
1: The Athletic is uh, originally an American company. Uh, So they started off in Chicago. Um, Head office now is currently in San Francisco. And the idea there is to create high quality sports journalism, the likes of which have hopefully never been seen before or, or to hark back to an era that may have, uh, we fondly remember where every single team had a had a local reporter who gave us in-depth, uh, informed, uh, and not quite partisan articles. So, the Athletic UK, the UK operation launched formally on August 8th uh, at the end of the UK transfer window, which is quite cheeky, I think, uh, and the idea is to have... Uh, at least 20 journalists for all 20 Premier League sides. Um, so some Premier League sides have one or two more. Uh, and we've got two or three journalists that cover the six clubs in the championship. Uh, we've got Ralph Hogstein covering, um, Hockstein I should say, covering the Bundesliga and whatnot. And the idea is every single club in the Premier League uh, has at least one dedicated journalist uh, hopefully embedded within the city um, to basically be your dedicated Author of all things to do with that football club—not just the first team, but the reserves, the under-23s, under-18s, uh, the women's side. If such a side exists—and um, to—and to give you the best sort of articles, news, features, and perspectives of that football club, past, present, and future. Um, so I am the Southampton correspondent. Hello. How are you? <laughs>
0: well, what would you like I to know you. about your football club? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You know, I, I'm I'm quite a, an avid listener of the Totally Football Show podcast with James Richardson that that you've been on before, and we've had a couple of other, um, of your I suppose for, of your colleagues from that show on this uh, podcast before, including Michael Hawks and Rafa Honigstein, who who are both writing for the Athletic, and uh, I think what really piqued my interest is that the ath- the Athletic kind of hoovered up a lot of the really kind of I don't know whether they're big names or they're just kind of like hipster names, but there are a lot of the writers <laughs> that, um, I was enjoying either listening to on podcasts or reading their, their work and various different places around. So it seems the athletic have gone for a very targeted approach in, in who they've picked up. Um, and, and I think they've probably got some of the best writers, uh, in the country when it comes to, to football and, and sports. So, um, you know, and and I, g- I gave the little trial a go and I'm now paid up uh, for the season. So I've been very impressed. As a Southampton fan, you don't get an awful lot of coverage um, in the national kind of like mainstream media. So uh, probably the best we get is in the Daily Te- Telegraph where uh, Jeremy Wilson used to work for the Daily Echo in Southampton. So that that's probably the best we get outside of that. But you've been doing some really, really in-depth articles on Southampton and releasing what, about three a week at the moment um, on all sorts of things from, you know, the tactics to the women's team to player interviews and that sort of thing. Is, is this exactly what we're going to be expecting throughout the season or, or are you going you looking for some other kind of little bits and pieces that we can look forward to seeing as well?
1: Uh, well, thank you very much for those kind flying words, first of all. Um, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm glad you're, you're, uh, you're a subscriber and, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and have got a brand new promotion for the international break going on now. So if anyone wants to sign up, um, you can sign up using the link. Dun, 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 dun. Drum roll as I get the link. Otherwise, I'll be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> uh, it is uh, theathletic.com slash join our club. Uh, and then you can get 40% off uh, your subscription. Uh, Yes, you are correct. I I write around about two to three articles a week. That is intentional. The idea is um, if I don't have to write something every single day, I have a little bit more time to to get additional voices, a bit more research to to really get into the nitty gritty of stats or to watch match footage over and over again. Um, So, yeah, the intention very much is to every single Monday, um, there should be, from Monday morning, there should be a, we don't do match reports, so what I call a debrief of of the weekend's action. So unlike quite a lot of outlets, I'm not writing my report as the football game goes on. I'm not filing that the moment it's full time. If I'm going to go watch a Saturday 3 p 3 p.m. game, I'm going to watch one very particular thing. Uh, and if it, if my theory for what's going on that week comes to Barcelona and behold, hooray, I get to write that uh, fairly quickly. If it's not, then I'll write something uh, on the fly and, you know, try my best to to, to get additional voices and, and come up with a unique perspective. So it's not just, oh, Southampton are very good, but they conceded again. They need to get a better defender, which I think if you read that 38 times, you'd wonder why you're getting a subscription. Yeah. So we, we try and mix it up. Um, the intention is to watch all Southampton teams. So I will be, not only did I go to Southampton women's team, Last week, I also went off to watch Southampton Old Boys, the ex Saints, play uh, ex-South Stars on Friday. So I watched uh, Matlissise up front with James Beattie, with uh, Franny Benali in defence, and Wayne Shaw of of uh, Sutton United and uh, an infamous pie in goal. <laughs> uh, so that was a that was a Southampton game I went to watch last week as well. Um, the idea is to to create the best sort of coverage you can get. One thing I've been uh, quite surprised about since covering Southampton is how little time they get on match of the day.
0: Oh yeah. T- tell us about um, it,
1: man. Yeah. I was shocked. So obviously, so first game of the season was a 12 hour round trip to, to, get to Burnley, uh, Burnley away. So I spent six hours on this train, going to Burnley, watching the game, think of a thesis, six hours back, more or less got there, got home in time for match of the day, watched the entire thing. And I think that was maybe, 15 seconds discussing Southampton's performance in that 3-0 defeat. So it was all about Bernie's very, very good. Look how good Ashley Barnes is. And then it was like, yeah, Southampton defended really badly. They have to improve. Okay, next game. And I was like, what? Where, where's the rest of the coverage? Um, and the idea is, to, is, is for the attack, to the break pass. Right? It's, it's to get to a point where it's not just the top six and then whoever scores that week who gets the coverage. It's explanations as to why things are going, if things are going wrong, is an explanation as to why they're going wrong. If things are going well, there's an explanation as to why they're going well. And also if the things that are going well are going to be sustainable. Um, if there seems to be a notable pattern with transfers or with injuries and whatnot, it's the idea is to look into that. So if you're a football club and for all of a sudden all of your players keep having ankle injuries, let's look at why you're having ankle injuries. Is it because something's going wrong with your pitch? Is it because maybe he does double training on a Friday just before a game? Um, the idea is the Athletic always tries to answer whatever uh salient question is on a fan base's mind uh and they always try and back up every hyperbolic statement we make
0: so so is that a bit of a challenge for you as a kind of uh, i mean i don't know what the course you did at bar spa Uni, but were, were you kind of like trained as a football journalist or were you just trained as a journalist and how does this differ from perhaps some of the work you've done previously uh, as a football journalist
1: um it's really interesting because this is my first ever season as a beat report as a football journalist. Um, so I have no formal journalism training as it were. Uh, I went off to creative writing and cultural studies at basketball yeah. university. I originally wanted to make, I went, I went to be a screenwriter and make documentaries, um, and make short films. And then I sort of pinballed my way through multiple internships and learned how to be a journalist on the job. Um, so I don't have the traditional, I don't have a, NCJ, I don't have a shorthand training or whatnot. I've, I've always said, I'm just very, very curious, um, which helps. It helps with when you've got a very unique writing job, such as this, because I don't have the years worth of go in and write a report and then do play. rating It's go, what's the game for 90 minutes, Carl. And then call me up and see what you found. And then I went, oh, look, it's really weird that they seem to do this on set pieces. I said, all right. Can you write about that for 800 words? Absolutely. Do it. Make it entertaining. And off I go. Um, Some people find it entertaining. Some people are very curious as to why I use very weird pop culture references. But (laughs) I think it's fine. Please let me know if you're not enjoying it. Uh,
0: There there may be the occasional pop culture reference that might go over my head. But I've I've certainly noticed um, your eye for detail and your eye for perhaps the unusual. So uh, you're talking about Southampton's approach to throw-ins and defending throw-ins and trying to force the opposition to give away throw-ins and I found myself sat there in St Mary's um in the chaplain watching the game against Manchester United and just like making a mental note of every single throw-in that happened and what was going on which to be honest you know apart from when we had Rory Delap playing for us I've not really been particularly interested in throw-ins um and then I picked up another thing as well So, so Kevin Danso seems to have a bit of a, a trebuchet of a throw. He's, he's got a bit yeah. of a Rory Dilap about him. So I'm wondering if perhaps this is where that's come from. And, and that's a question that uh, Tom and I discussed on the last episode of the podcast, but perhaps you might have a little bit more insight on that.
1: Uh, he does have a little cannon on it, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, so a really interesting thing with, with Southampton and something I'm quite enjoying about watching them this season is they have a very, very clear pronounced Way of playing, um, and at the moment, they're only somewhat good at doing it, which makes it quite fun because like, okay, cool. So, they're doing like stages one to four of was, Oh, they've broken down at stage three. Okay, they're, they're trying to do this set piece routine. Oh, they've broken down there. And even when things are going badly or when I'm not playing badly, it's because of a very clear reason, and you understand absolutely what they're trying to do. which it sounds quite simple, but there are plenty of Premier League football clubs that don't play with a clear plan like that. There are plenty of Premier League football clubs um, that have aspirations of ending up in the Champions League spaces that don't have a clear, pronounced plan for what they want to do on the ball and off the ball to the way Southampton do, which I find very, very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, and I, I think we might get onto that in maybe a couple of questions' time. But um, I, I'm going to roll back a little bit, because we've gone a little bit kind of... Left field uh, here from the questions, but I, I wonder how you ended up covering Southampton because um, you're a Manchester United fan, and you were were you the Athletic correspondent for Manchester United last season as well?
1: Yes. So uh, the Athletic started Athletic Soccer last season, which was sort of a a test phase where they uh, they cover the top six clubs in um, England, and as well as Barcelona, Real Madrid, Paris Saint Germain, and I want to say you've entered um so that was sort of a, a test for me thought to go can we cover soccer in the same way we cover uh NFL uh basketball and, and other college sports uh, and I remember when I got offered um the the chance I don't wait but i'm I'm like this Manchester united fan everyone hates I'm the Manchester united fan who lives in who lives in London went, it's fine just be really really entertaining and be really really uh, really focus on being unique in your writing and your ideas don't do match reports or do what everyone else is doing. I went, okay, fine. So I did that for a season. Uh, it got quite hard uh, before Christmas because I, I will say on this podcast what I say all the time. I absolutely despise Mr. Mourinho. <laughs> um, so things got better when Solskjaer came in charge. Uh, and yeah, now I'm covering Southampton, which is it's fun because obviously I'm not having to write 15 to 2,000 words about why my own personal football team is terrible and why someone needs to be fired um so I, I can have the quite sort of i won't say the text but it's quite fun looking from the outside in and not being so um you, having my opinions colored by certain emotions yeah. so there are some players that i'm sorry i'm going to find it very very hard for me to say anything about Paul bad about Paul pogba because i i desperately love that man and i don't want to hug him all the time <laughs> uh <laughs> whereas I haven't quite reached that stage with any Southampton players yet, so I, I will um I don't want to say I wanna tear down your gods but I can actually, you know, I think I have a fairly objective view of what's going on at Southampton, which I think helps when you're covering a club like this. You don't want to be too wedded to any any uh, local boys on good stories or heroes because if they're not whipping in crosses and that's the reason why you're not scoring, you'd like the journalist
0: to be able to pinpoint that. Yeah. Surely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so how did you end up covering Southampton? Was that an intentional thing to move away from the club that you support and, and uh, to Southampton? Or did uh, a bigger name get Man United and, and you were relegated down the division?
1: It was, it's a funny story. Uh, so I was obviously writing for Athletic Soccer all season uh, and there were rumours, uh, press rumours, that the Athletic UK was about to launch they were going to hire X amount of people. I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. It's weird they haven't told me that. So I was thinking that my freelance contract had run out. Uh, and I you know, was looking for other freelance roles to, to supplement that income. I was going off to Spain that June uh, on holiday. Uh, and so I sort of I handed in my last dark coin. There you are. I'm off to Spain. I'm going to watch the Champions League final in Barcelona. Don't ask. Uh, And I said, I'll see you when I see you. Uh, Came back from holiday. Uh, I got a phone number from an unknown number. And as a man who's in their 20s, I don't pick up phone numbers from numbers. So I switched that to voicemail. Got another one, switched it to voicemail. Got another one, switched it to voicemail. Was kindly recommended I answer the phone by someone. Uh, And then I was made uh, an offer. Uh, Someone made me an offer I couldn't refuse. They asked my openness to becoming a full-time employee. And I said, ah, it'd be quite nice to have a pension. Uh, and then uh, they asked my openness to relocate. And I said, it obviously matter on where I was relocating to. And they said, how would you feel about Southampton? And I you know, talked to my mum about it, weighed it all up, said, "Household was a good manager. There's, there's some interesting things out there. I think I could probably find the next Virgil van if, if if something was to occur. Uh, And that'd be quite a nice little uh, string to my bow, being like, oh, I was the first one to write about the next big thing in the Premier League. Uh, So I said yes. So I accepted a job offer at the start of July. I moved to Southampton on July 20th. I lived incognito in Southampton for a couple of days because I couldn't reveal who I was or what my job was for... Uh, journalism reasons, sneaky sneaky and then uh, August 8th, I was able to unveil myself into the world like hello, how are you? I've been learning about your football club for several days. Would you like to say
0: hello? Brilliant and, and what have you kind of learned about Southampton so far? I suppose as a city rather than the football team I'd be intrigued. Um,
1: so I've spent quite a lot of time talking to the Southampton historians and the group at Hagiology Publishing. So as I'm talking to you right now, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six uh, books on Southampton history going all the way back to to basically the club's inception. Um, And there are four historians of the football club. And if you talk to all of them, they all talk, they've all lived in Southampton on and off in the city for for many, many years. Uh, And one of them uh, mentioned to me, he goes, Southampton is a very Northern port city that has accidentally ended up on the South coast. (laughs) And now, and now the city makes sense to me. I'm like, oh, right, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've accidentally landed in like southern Liverpool. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. ah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really uh, it's a uh, city full of uh, hardworking, polit- politically switched-on people, who uh, they're quite friendly. They really look after themselves. So I don't. I work from home right now, uh, and I only really have to leave the house for shopping and or to watch Southampton Football Club. Uh, so I'm not like wealthy with friends at the moment, but uh, for the most part, every time I've been out in a library or in a bar and trying to type on my phone, there has been someone. You're right. Do you want to come talk to us? You seem lonely. I'm like, oh god, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't something you get in London. So uh, no, no, I'm very, no. I'm very appreciative of uh of the people of Southampton. They've been very good to me.
0: Yeah. I've got to admit as someone who's recently left London and I've ended up in the middle of the countryside the first few weeks of people saying hello and being friendly is mildly terrifying and then suddenly you get used to it and then now I go to to London and and already my mindset has changed I'm like God, everyone is so grumpy Um, but yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I encourage our listeners, you know, if if you spot Carl out, do say hello, do be warm and welcoming to him, make sure he enjoys our city because uh, we probably want you reporting on Southampton for the time being. Um, say, I've asked you what you've kind of learned about the city of Southampton so far. What have you learned about the football club that, you know, maybe something that you didn't expect? I'm sure you must have had quite a lot of preconceptions. You're already saying that you're hoping that you might find, uh, you know, the next Superstar of football coming through the academy or through the kind of transfers at Southampton. Did. But is—is is there anything that you're expecting that, or or something that you didn't expect that you've discovered about the club?
1: Um, I'll answer this with a little bit of how I came to learn about Southampton. So, I uh, moved to the c- city on uh, July 20th. I didn't have internet until I think August 1st. So, I did what many millennial people do when they need to learn about something. Uh, I loaded up
0: FIFA. <laughs> so I
1: loaded, loaded, up, loaded up a season of FIFA. I put on the hardest difficulty. I put on world class. Uh, so I couldn't use my FIFA skills to supplement any potential uh, stat lowering features. So I, I played a season and a half in career mode at Southampton. And so sort of I went through that. Okay, so this is how this team plays. This is how this team wants to work. Uh, they could probably play quite well in a in a four three three. Uh, and they're quite vulnerable to counterattacks. and I did this and did this, and messed around on football manager at the same time. And uh, I went to the first pre-season game they had at home at St. Mary's. And I think the first thing that struck me was just how on-level the fan base was. I've not yet to encounter a fan base that has been so, yeah, we'd be happy with Tolts. We'd be happy with Tolts in the cup run. And, and that's that. We're, we're like, yeah,
0: uh, oh, you're
1: just... I don't want to say realistic because that seems like a disservice, but I've never seen such a a fan base that is just so, there is so accepting of the hierarchy of the Premier League and so respectful of their own history and their place within the Premier League. So so I've yet to meet a Southampton fan that goes, we should be, back up in the European League places and doing this and doing this and doing this. They're like, no, they went, look, look, we've had two very bad seasons, Mark Hughes, eh, uh, and now we've got Ralph and we're on a rebuild project and it'd be quite nice to have a cup run and top play. Uh, okay, uh, do you want to, like, no, we're fine. It's it's easy, you know, a couple wins, some good attacking football and that's done. Um, which there is the joke that basically every single football club, every single fan base believes their football club needs to play attacking football with youngsters but Southampton is obviously a club that does it and does it a lot. Uh, and they're very much like, yeah, let's do that for a bit. Like, oh, okay. Well, this is nice. Oh, After covering Manchester United for our season, it's quite nice to have a football club that is like, no, we don't need to be challenging for a title or within European League spaces. We're just going to spend this year, reassess stuff, do what we need to do and then enjoy ourselves, which is quite nice.
0: Oh, good. I that That's that's quite reassuring to hear because sometimes you can get lost in Twitter with perhaps the people that hold the most extreme views on Southampton Football Club. I mean, you can do this on any subject going um, and you do have to occasionally try and remove yourself from disappearing too far into the comments about a tweet about Brexit or something where you suddenly go, okay, right, I'm in the depths of the internet now, I need to come back out for air. Um, I I definitely think the last two seasons have, have probably been been the reason for that because if you look back to us sacking Claude Puel after we came eighth and had a decent cup run and I think most Southampton fans at the time did want us to sack Puel and now you can see that actually well a season when we finish eighth and get to a cup final would be really really great and really well appreciated but also I think the other thing that people are feeling much more positive now is Ralph's style of football and you know, mm-hmm. you touched on it there that Saints fans do like to see young players, and they like to see attacking. Um, you know, we're very lucky to have um, managers like Maurizio Pellegrino and Ronald Koeman. Who, um, I mean, Pellegrino has a very, very distinct style. Uh, Koeman was very pragmatic and used the players that we had in, in the best way that he could, and, and was very successful. So then, to go from that to Powell, which was very kind of like turgid, slow-paced football, and then Pellegrino was much the same, and then Mark Hughes. Well, I mean, I just there's not really a particular style. I don't Marcus think Mark Hughes was terrible. Yeah, he was terrible.
1: Um, I have no idea why you hire that man or why you gave him an extended contract. But yeah,
0: um, I mean, he did his job. Like we got him for the what to save us and he was going to get a million pound bonus for doing that which he did but then why we gave him a three year contract afterwards he, who knows anyway that's all that's all water under the bridge so far um say so, right I, I want to get onto the kind of more interesting stuff now because one of the things that i've picked up from your writing is that um i suppose that level of intrigue that you're talking about earlier but there's there's a level of detail that as a southampton fan i've not been used to reading um about Southampton and you know probably my favorite article so far was your article on the 4222 formation and how you'd kind of looked at it um and there's a lot of people who probably uh, we actually have quite a lot of listeners from all around the world there's lots of expats who listen to this there's lots of American listeners who don't get to see Southampton very often and some that probably haven't seen us play in person with this formation so can you describe how it works? Because you're able to put it much more eloquently than I am, having read your article.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that article. It seems to be uh, the first, like, oh, this guy's serious. Um, I think it's. I think I'm going to look back on that and I think that's my turning point, the fan base. So, whew,
0: Yeah. Whew.
1: Glad people enjoy that one. I was, I was up it until quite late getting that one. I, I, I think that's your stunning uh,
0: finish from the edge of the area that ingratiates you with the fans, you know, the new signing.
1: <laughs> Um, right, so the four-two-two-two, uh which we've henceforth termed hassle hustle football or the hassle hustle or the hoof and hustle, uh, as the athletic commenters have mentioned, and I'm just going to circle through all those nicknames this season. It is was most preferred formation and his most preferred shape. Uh, so he, when he came through an ingle he did a little bit of 4 3 3 um, but he's the majority of the time he spent at Red Bull Leipzig was using the 4 um, 2 And he is slowly, like everything you have to consider with Southampton is to get this Southampton team to play in that shape um, because that's absolutely what he wants to do. He did it. He played, I think, something like 66 times out of 83 games in Germany um, with Leipzig. And he, he's beginning to do it now, especially because he's got Kevin Danso uh, in the side, which was a big sort of. We're going to. Look at Danzo joining Southampton as a big moment. I think going forward, um, so it's uh, a flat back four uh, with overlapping fullbacks. But what's really important is the front six uh, of the two-two-two-two bit. So uh, you've got a double pivot of uh, two number sixes in central midfield. Now these are very—they're meant to be very, very hardworking, constantly running, high stamina, loads of tackling. Two essentially um, the midfielders with good passing ranges. So I think for the majority of this season, it's going to be uh, Um, uh, Romeo and either uh, Heuberg or Ward-Prowse. I haven't quite, from what I've seen from both of them in that position, I'm not sure who's the better person as the other GM. But I think Romeo is going to be a starter in that for a long time because he's the best defensive midfielder you've got in your books. Then you've got uh, the wide men, uh, so the second rank of two. These players are really interesting because, the left-sided one, so nominally Nathan Redmond, um, is tucked in and the right-sided one uh, plays a little bit uh, deeper and a little bit wider compared to the left-sided one, especially when James Ward-Prowse is playing. So um, this might be Musa Janefo, this might be uh, Buffal, but whoever plays on the right will play a little bit wider and a little bit deeper in the pitch, one to give you a um, balance for all the attacks that go down your left-hand side, especially when you've got Bertrand and you've got Redmond on the left-hand side. And also, you play wider on the right-hand side because if James Ward-Prowse is playing in central midfield, it gives Ward-Prowse extra space to burst into and play almost as like a fake number 10. So that's that as well. And then in front of them, you've got your two strikers. That will be one of Danny Ings. uh, And I'm going to assume Shea Adams because Shea Adams is, he's looking at XG. If you're an XG uh, stat person, he's about to score a bucket of goals. Right, so that's the shape. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting about this t- team is that Hassel will want, uh, Southampton to attack the ball, attack the goal within 10 seconds of getting the ball. So he is really, really focused on the attacking transition. He mentions it quite a lot in his press conferences. Uh, so two things you want to look at when Hassel will press conference is look for when he mentions attacking transition and look if he, mentions, if he describes football players open-minded. He will do that a lot this season um so the idea is uh he wants a high pressing side that wins the ball high up the pitch and then the moment they get the ball they have to spring forward and get to the goal and have a shot on goal within 10 seconds so first things first you press a lot from goal kicks so nearly every single time opposition side tries to do a short goal kick um one of your Strikers, or maybe it's Ward-Powles, will shoot up and try and nick the ball off them. That's how Ing scored against Liverpool, um, and that's how I think it happened again against Manchester United. Someone is always up there trying to do that. Um, they also do did what I call uh, chan- uh, channel passing. Channel uh, You press very particular passing channel from the back four whenever an opposition team is trying to play out the defence. So most notably uh, the left centre-back. Every time a left centre-back has the ball, a Southampton player is trying to stand in between them and the left-back in order to cut out the ball. The idea is the centre-back, seeing the left-back isn't a passing option, will pass it down the middle of the pitch. Um, and the idea is when he passes it down the middle of the pitch, one of the double pivots, so Romeo or Prous or Hojberg or someone, can jump the person, the midfielder who has the ball, nick it, nick it very quickly, play it forward to the person ahead of them, so that's Ings or Adams, and then Ings and Adams can have a shot on goal. Um, that is a very, very basic version of how press. Another really interesting thing is your wide men don't play, your right-sided wide man plays a little bit wider, but they play quite pinched in. So the idea is anytime time the opposition football team tries to play wide, the front six drift left and right, and then try and press as a conglomerate to try and press the entire ball out the pitch. So this one, we said Southampton get a lot of throw-ins this season. It's because you're basically trying to box out every single attack that comes out from wide positions. I think against Brighton, you had something like 20 throw-ins on the left side in particular. It was a really, really, really good defensive thing. Um, it's almost like a rugby technique. Um, so I can play quite a bit of rugby, and I always got told the best defender in the world is the touchline.
0: Yeah.
1: You play out, you play out. And I think Hassel does that as well. Interesting because this he really devised at Leipzig when Leipzig had to play two games a week for the Champions League. So I imagine he's doing this because he realises that his Southampton side isn't the most athletic or can't put in the running miles of a Champions League level side. Um, So that's a basic view. Oh no, wait. Another thing you have to notice. There's a lot of long balls done. Um, So quite often, we'll we'll play a long ball forward to your front two. And it will look like an English punt, but the idea isn't to necessarily get it to Ings or Adams, but it's necessary to uh, basically give it to the opposition centre-back so the opposition centre-back can head the ball into the, center, into the middle of the pitch. And from there, Romeo and Will prowse can spring forward and set a counterattack. It's purposely giving away possession, so you can win it higher up the pitch. Um, and those are the three tenants of the four-two-two-two. Two, two. So flat-back four, tight six, high presses, especially on the goal kick, um, attack the ball within 10 seconds. The middle pivot are essential for everything that happens. And very often you will just launch balls forward uh, to the opposition defender to spring a counter attack. Any questions?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I I definitely (laughs) noticed that the launching the ball forward and almost intentionally losing it. And I I was actually thinking that was the the most rugby-ish thing that we were doing. It felt like, um I think when I was at I was at school I used to play the fullback position where if I ended up with the ball I had a decent kick on me so I'd kick it as far as I could up the pitch and then obviously everyone tries to run up with you and certainly from the view from behind the goal um when uh, Southampton were defending right in front of me, you could see them doing that time and time and time again. Um, and I was wondering if we were trying to force the throw-ins, but you know, now you said that you want the centre-backs to head it back out, and then have someone like Romeo or Hoyberg um, rob it off someone like Pogba in the middle. That that makes total sense as well. So, yeah, in- interesting to see see that working. And um, you know, the the double pivot. It, it looks like that the, those two positions, are they going to be the most important players for Southampton yes. this season? Is it going to be absolutely. Romeo and whoever? Because I, I guess kind of like the last couple of seasons, Romeo hasn't looked that great, but the game against Manchester United, he looked absolutely immense from where I was sitting. He was like the Romeo of three seasons ago, I think when he won his, his Southampton Player of the Season award. So, so he's going to be totally key to this whole thing working because we're going to be looking for Romeo to win the ball over and over and over and over again in the middle of midfield and then quickly get it to Che Adams or Danny Ings to, to fire off a shot. And I suppose the other thing which makes a lot of sense, if you watch Che Adams's goals from last season, so many of them, he's shooting before the keeper's readied himself. He, he, like, he loves an early shot, doesn't he?
1: He does, he does indeed. Uh, I've been interviewing... Uh, a former Southampton striker who coached Shay Adams so you should be able to put two and two together from there yeah.
0: uh,
1: and he was recently telling me about uh, visualisation and set pieces and uh, shooting drills he put Shea through during their time together and I think what's really interesting is that Shay is uh, normally right footed um, but when he shoots with his left he tends to go for power rather than placement and the idea is to slowly get Shea into a place where he's a little bit more comfortable with shooting, um, placing the ball with his left foot. And you can see it now. Like Shea Adams is doing, he's playing good football. He's linking up well. He's leading the press. He is popping up in the positions you absolutely want your striker to pop up at. But he has had a recent tendency to snatch at a couple of shots. Mm-hmm. And I think when it does click, when he gets that first goal, he's going to probably get five in three or, or three in five. And I think and
0: fans are like, oh, what were we worried about? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel particularly worried about Sheridan. He obviously kind of swiped at his opportunity against Manchester United and sent it miles over from about five yards out, which was a shame. Um, but he certainly looks like he's getting into the right sorts of positions, and and you know, I think I've seen enough from him last season that I'm confident that he's gonna he's gonna come good. Um, I, I guess the other player that I want to ask you about is James Ward Prowse because. Um, Ralph's effect on him last season was pretty transformative but that was in the 3-5-2 or the 5-3-2 formation where perhaps we had an extra central midfielder to use and James Will Prowse was taking up that role and he was tough tackling, he was aggressive which is something that we'd not seen from him before and he also added in the the goals and scored a few goals as well. I was quite confused about his positioning in the game against Manchester United. Is that because he's more used to playing the double pivot role and he was out of that role against Man United or, or what What was what was up with James Ward-Prowse?
1: He was playing on the right-hand side um, which I don't think is his best position and I think he does that because he is uh, a willing runner and very much open to uh, Ralph's ideas and one wants to play whenever. Um, the problem with Ward-Prowse playing on the right-hand side is because like I said the player who plays on the right-hand side has to play deeper and wider to give space for James Ward-Prowse to burst into. So Ward-Prowse was sort of stood there in his position and going, all right, I'm stood here playing a little bit disconnected from the game to give the extra space from the other for the man in the double pivot to burst into. And Heuberg was very much, no, I'm, I'm going to stay here and deal with Paul Pogba because Pogba's midfield is rubbish. So if I just double-team him, we're fine. Um, so Ward-Prowse performed ably at his job at the right. The problem was he was playing it perhaps uh, it wasn't the best interpretation of a player playing on the right hand side of the four-two-two-two because there was basically no runs coming in from behind from behind from Zoyberg. For well, for good reason. Like it was, it was very smart for Zoburg to say, "If I just sit here and Romeo and I double team Pogba, United have nothing." Because lo and behold, United had nothing when that happened. Um, I am very intrigued by James Wood Krause. I think he's a box-to-box midfielder. I think he's a number eight. He is. Uh, very athletic centre midfield player he looks as if he could run 120 minutes every single game Uh, he's a very willing runner he his delivery from set pieces is what I've been told by many Southampton fans about um, and I'm going to look into that a bit more because I want to fact check that so you can look out for that article coming forward I do worry about his passing ability in uh, in full flow uh, there was a very good Southampton fan who described him as uh, James Ward-Prowse is what happens if you took David Beckham's talent and a, and heart and work ethic and put him into 2019. Uh, ah, yeah, I can see that. He's a good player. Yeah. I do worry if he is good enough to be as ball dominant as what he wants to be. And I say ball dominant not as, um, ball dominant is a very basketball term in terms of you, like, how many times you have to give this guy the ball in order to run your offense. And I think Ward Prowse probably, he's right at the cusp of it's worth it giving him a ball that many times to start attack. What he's very good at, uh, and I think what he's going to be really important for throughout the season is his stamina and his tackling. Um, he's really adopted household tackling techniques and he's really adopted, um, tactical fouling. Yeah. which is something you're going to see a lot more of. Players in wide positions, left back, left wing, right back, right wing, and double pivots, they're going to get a lot of yellow cards this season. Because when you play a high press and when you give away the ball like this, um, and you give away the ball of long balls, you do leave yourself very, very open to uh, counter-attacks, especially in the wide areas. Um, so I think Danzo aside, Southampton centre-backs aren't particularly speedy. Um, so there is a high risk that if you play a ball over the top of Southampton, you can get in behind. So what has demonstrated
0: brilliantly by Burnley.
1: Exactly. So what Hassel, I think it feels as if this has been instructed from the top, but what Southampton players are doing quite often now is the moment a player, the moment their attack breaks down and a player looks like they can start a counterattack for the opposition, a Southampton player will foul them. Um, and at the moment, they're getting yellow cards for it. The idea is that they get so good at it, they don't pick up yellow cards. Yeah. Or the idea is you spread the yellow card around,
0: R- um, rather so than collecting good. two of them in the same game, like Danzo. Yeah. <laughs> so Kevin
1: Danzo, yeah, Kevin Danzo was bad at that. Uh, Musu Janepo is a real risk for that. So Janaipo has two yellow cards in 50 minutes of football for Southampton, um, and I think he got, I think he got seven yellow cards to age last season.
0: I think it's more and than one of that. Them- I looked it up. I think it was 11.
1: It was 11. Sorry, oh, yeah. maybe I broke that. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe that was across
0: all, all the competitions, perhaps.
1: Yeah, he yeah. got a lot of yellow cards last season, and one of them was a double yellow. Yeah. And this this is something he got an orange card against Brighton. He made a tackle just stop a counter attack, and I went what well, the red in my yeah. nose uh, and got away with it. So um, that's something I have to be wary of. I, I, I'm not wholly sure if James Will Prowse should play in a starting lineup for Southampton yet.
0: Yeah, I. D- is which is it, odd to say. It is weird, but I wonder if does that formation doesn't really lend itself to having a number eight, perhaps, unless you're less worried about the opposition, then maybe that might be where you take Hoiberg or Romeo out and put James Will Prouse if you want someone a bit more... It absolutely creative. does.
1: <laughs> so the the double pivot, yeah. even though both not be a six, making one of them an eight that bursts forward and joins the front three makes a lot of sense. The problem is, and I mean this in the nicest way, and James Will maybe isn't quick enough okay, and not stamina or not but physical quickness to get ball and progress it up the pitch with sheer dribbling power when you consider that this job at Red Bull Leipzig one of the people in double pivots was Mm -hmm. Nabi Kater, who for all intents and purposes is one of the better players in Europe for it Um, you can see sort of how hard this job is
0: yeah, and uh, I think Stuart Armstrong's probably our other number eight in the squad as well. And I'm finding it hard to see where he would fit into Ralph's plans for the season other than just perhaps a bit of a bit-part player and off-the-bench sort of player.
1: Mm, mm. Armstrong very much seems to be a, a favourite on substitutes, but he just seems to be very much a steady Eddie. Yeah. Keep the possession, get the ball, pass the ball, either wide or up top, which is fine if you want to close out stuff. And I've never... I've never felt worried by the sight of Armstrong coming on the pitch not in the same way that I have about other substitutes for other football clubs coming on the pitch. He will give you a solid 6 out of 10 performance coming off the bench which is what you want Yeah, I feel.
0: Um, so I, if we move on now to the defence because we've talked about the 2-2-2 two, 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 um, but the defence <laughs> I'm gonna go, going for the old trope here this is probably the thing that Saints fans have been worried about most um, and there was a lot of excitement when we brought Danse in on the, you know, in, in before the transfer deadline passed, or well, just about kind of, but yeah. Anyway, we've got him over the line. It's it, it's a weird thing with our defense because people tell you we need new central defenders. Everyone's worried about our central defenders, but then if you ask them about the particular personalities, everyone also likes Bednarek. Everyone. Well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people like Vestergaard. <laughs> certainly after the Manchester United performance, um, the Southampton fans adore Yoshida, um, although probably only want him as a backup centre back rather than a starting centre back, and and Danso looks exciting as well, um, but then he's had this unusual situation of being played on the left with Ryan Bertrand out, and is Bertrand injured or not? We're not a hundred percent sure, but you know, is Danso going to end up in the? in the middle of the centre-back and then he's, he's going to be the one who's going to lose their place out of Bednarek and, and Vestergaard.
1: Uh, Danville's going to be a centre-back. Absolutely. He will finish this season with more appearances as centre-back than at left-back. I, If you gave me a shiny penny to make put a bet on that, I would put a bet on that.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: so in the most recent press conference after the United game, uh, Hassel said he uh, he was really proud of Danzo, and he slightly regretted not taking him off. Earlier when he was on a yellow card. Yeah. Um and then admitted left back wasn't his strongest position and views you know and said he views him as a centre okay. back. So I believe the the strongest back four um if everyone's fit and if everyone is uh open to the idea of the four two 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 will be Bertrand at left back, uh Danzo left centre back, Benerick uh, right centre back, and then Valeri at right back. I think that's the strongest one. Vestergaard. I've been really perplexed by him up until the Manchester United game. Um, for a six foot six man, he he's not the best in the air, which leads me to believe he might not have worked out his back muscles up until very very recently. Because so he hasn't got the leap I expect from a person of that size, um, and his timing is just a little bit off. And he's not the most mobile um, centre back. He. he he is the one that is the most vulnerable to the ball over the top on the counter-attack. Um, but he was very good at Manchester United, so maybe he has turned a corner. Um, Yoshida, I think, is probably a good head to come off the bench to close out games, which he did against Manchester United. So when he went down to 10 men, um, Yoshida came on and slotted in a left back and at no point did I think Southampton would concede after that because they're like, yeah, we'll just deal with the area bombardment all day rather than you're United trying to play anything simple but I think yeah uh, Bertrand, Danzo Benerick uh, and, and Valerie is probably your best back four
0: So do you think we need to be worried about Bertrand and his relationship with Ralph because there are some questions about whether he had a real injury or whether it was tactical and Ralph kind of hinted that maybe it was tactical playing Danzo on the left but is that just a bit of um I don't know maybe, maybe kind of fronting up uh, an injury problem
1: uh, as far as I know, so uh, here's everything I know for sure. Um, Ralph Hartwell said Bertrand was carrying a ankle knock uh, after the Liverpool game, and that's why he missed the game against Brighton and against Fulham in the League Cup. Uh, he has since trained with the first team, um, so I know he's trained at least twice. He trained on the Friday before the Manchester United game. Uh, and then I saw Bertrand at St. Mary's on the Saturday for the United game where he was watching the game with his mother.
0: Yeah. That's what I know. Okay. Uh,
1: what I feel is that compared to the injury information I was given compared to other players, it was less. So uh, it was very much Nathan Redmond's out for two to three weeks. He has to wear a boot for 10 days. It's a very, very big miss. Musa is carrying a muscle knock from training, so he has to miss a little bit. Uh, blah 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 Brian Birchin trained yeah there's there's a
0: there's a pregnant pause there isn't there
1: yes yes there is a pregnant pause uh, so that's why uh, it's it's been two weeks since you know we've, we've, we've had a little break for the international break I'm sure there's been plenty of time for for discussions to be had between between player and club I don't want to speculate too much on uh whether or not he's in exile or simply just recovering and and decided to be rested for those two games. Uh, With Danzo now suspended, there is extra impetus on options at left back or Heuberg played at left back in the League Cup game against Fulham, which was interesting. I don't think we'll see that again Mm. uh, unless something very pronounced has happened. I've been having quite a few questions about Vokins. Have I said that right? Jake Wilkins?
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Yep. Wilkins in the under twenty three, who I think uh should be arriving in in as a substitute very, very soon, if not starting at left back or possibly moving young Valerie, who you know, picked a bit of a knock against Brighton. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Valerie moves over to left back and Cedric plays it right back. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um so there are quite a few options um there. I don't want to believe any of those options will be used for the Sheffield United game. I think, I think, virtual will be in the starting lineup on Saturday.
0: Okay, well there there we go on that one. And um, one of the things that you joked about in one of your previous articles that Southampton, I think it's probably the one where you're introducing yourself to us, is that Southampton's a city that you pass through. Um, you go to university there, you graduate from it, you come in on a cruise, you go out, you know, it's 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 a you know, a pausing place rather than a place that you perhaps might spend or, or see spending the rest of your life at. And do you think this is Ralph's plan? Is Southampton part of a bigger plan? Is is Ralph using us as a stepping stone like so many other players and managers ha have done before?
1: I don't think so. I think Ralph is I think, well, I know, I know there was a very pronounced um, courting period between Southampton Football Club and Ralph, and that Southampton wanted Ralph in the summer before they extended Mark Hughes's contract, uh, and then, sort of, when the Hughes project didn't work out, they went back to Hussle. Um It's my belief that household was one of the best paid, relatively one of the better paid managers in the Premier League. I think he's the, one of the it feels odd to describe Southampton as a team in the bottom half of the Premier League, mm. but I believe he's I believe he's one of the highest played managers in in the bottom half of the Premier League. He has a great degree of autonomy at this football club. Um, so Southampton's governance board is, is Nelly Gow, uh, Martin Simmons, the CEO, um, Ross Wilson, the director of football, Ralph Houser-Hall, and I want to say. Uh, one other gentleman, the managing director, who is—I I think it's a Justin.
0: Uh, you know what? It's, My interest in the board is <laughs> wanes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm the FC's managing director is a no. It's not a Justin. It's a Toby Steele, So they are—they are the governance board. So yeah. um, it's quite unusual for uh, a manager/slash head coach to, to, to be on a governance board. of of a club such as this in the Premier League now, because everyone's trying to move to this direct football model where, you know, the head coach moves within two or three years and you have a consistent sort of managerial thing. But from my understanding, Hustle has a degree of autonomy that you won't see at many clubs in the Premier League. Um, He has uh, a 10-part list or criteria for every single player who is uh, scouted and brought into the club as well. So... Uh, Southampton right now are very reluctant to pay more than £15 million pounds for a player um, and then if they do want to bring in a player they have to tick off these 10 things that Ralph Hassel wants yeah. which I believe I don't know what the exact thing is but I think it's they have to be on the age of 24 uh, yeah. um, they've got to be open-minded uh, surely they've got to be open-minded they've got to be capable of playing within, within at least three formations uh, the two-footedness is preferred uh, and uh, if you go through quite a few of the match uh, match day programs, there's quite a few buzzwords that constantly pop up, which I'm like slowly trying to formulate. Are these the 10 commandments?
0: Okay.
1: Um, but the idea that a manager has that much input is more unusual than you'd think at a football club nowadays. It's, it's more old uh, school,
0: isn't it? It's more kind of a is. throwback to a bygone era.
1: Hartzell very much is a manager compared to, to, compared to the first team coaches you get at yeah. other Premier League football clubs he cares not only about the first team but he has helped with the restructuring of the academy so the under 23 team and the under 18 team and the under 16 te- under 16s are all being uh, revamped and rejigged so when these young players eventually are brought through and playing the first team their, their transition is as seamless as possible um, I don't think there's normally – I don't think there's a nominal reserve team anymore. I think it's just sort of a development on the 23s, which, um, you know, when you've got 20-year-old Jan Valery playing at right back, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think if you gave me a shiny penny to put money on it, I think Hassel will be the manager at Southampton until the next World Cup, the next Men's World Cup in 2022, providing the board keep their promises and providing there is money for him to, to keep putting forth his ideals and, and the way he wants the football team to play. I can very much see him there for for at least two more, two three more seasons.
0: And and where do you think he hopes to get to? Do you think he does hope to qualify for Europa League? And will he maybe see that as far as he can take Southampton?
1: That's a really good question, and one I am going to answer by looking at your finances instead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, well, St. Mary's is a 32000 seat stadium. Yeah. Uh, uh, doo-doo-doo, I've got a local newspaper in front of me. The matchday revenue is 19 million. Broadcasting revenue is 120 million. Uh, yeah, the accounts are very good at Southampton, and they very much have the ground and the training academy and whatnot to be of a European level. The Staplewood training ground is one of the more impressive training grounds I visit is. I'd not put it far off a Champions League quality training ground. Um, It's definitely a training ground as good as one of any football club competing in Europe. So there's no reason to believe Southampton's cap is eighth and a cup run. There is plenty of growth to to get into that Premier League middle class. And I think Southampton want to get in there very much. Um, There was a fan forum that I watched before I came here, and I believe uh, Adam Blackmore from BBC Radio Sol asked the, the assembled people if they'd be happy if Southampton finished in the band between ninth and fourteenth. Uh, and I think most Southampton fans raised a hand. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. And I think that's the objective for this season. And I don't think that won't be. I don't think that's the objective for the season afterwards. I think Southampton do want to be in this push for. For the Premier League middle class, along with West Ham, Watford, Wolverham, and other and other clubs, yeah. And to do that, it takes a lot of ambition. You can't go if we end up ninth, that's good. You more or less have to go. We're gonna aim for seventh every single season and see what happens next.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Alan am is an ambitious ambitious person. I think the amount of uh, backing he's got from the board. Uh, and, and the way he wants to do it. So it's not just, net to get to seventh by spending a lot of money, but let's do it with young players, playing in a very pronounced way, playing in a way that's sustainable, not only financially, but sustainable in a way that means there's a constant route of players coming through. So, you, you, for example, look at right back. Yeah, you've got the 20-year-old Jan Valerie, you also got the 19-year-old Kane Ramsey right behind him. That's what Ralph wants yeah. over and over over and over again and i think that takes two to three years at the very least at the very least it takes two to three years you wouldn't if you play football manager you play fifa for any length of time you don't buy a bunch of 19 year olds only to leave off the two seasons
0: it makes no sense no no you've got to stick with it and 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 build and develop Uh, well you know that's really exciting i think to hear and if, if that's the vibe that you're getting as an outsider um that's also good because, you know, people like me, our, our judgment is always clouded by the fact that we love the club too much to be objective. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ask you kind of one last question before I'm going to ask you if you've got any, any other business, Carl, but who's, who's going to be the star for Southampton this season? Ooh,
1: a big question. Um, it's a. I think it's going to be a tough one between a new signing. Um, Kevin Dancer has already... Slotted into that back four and made Southampton look uh, infinitely more secure side. Um, so if you're a fan of all-conquering defenders, especially young ones, I think Danzo is going to be a favourite. I've seen quite. A few, I've been on the Saints web forum. I've seen some people experiment with some player chance there, which uh, has tickled me quite a bit. <laughs> and I think when Musa, I think when Musa janepo gets up and running, I think Musa Janepo one of Musa Janepo and Shea Adams will end up with double figure yeah. Premier League goals this season, which is, it sounds not a ridiculous task, but when you realise no one's done it for Southampton since Sadio Mane, you realise, oh wait, yeah, it's about time they had a goal scorer. Yeah. They could sing it up. So I think Gennepo will be right up there. He should probably
0: get 12 this season. Okay. Um. So just picking up on your Danso and the, the song, so like, I I mean, for me, I'd love to see the Northern trying to attempt Elton John's Tiny Dancer in some Absolutely. form of Kevin Dancer form. <laughs> what What are you backing?
1: That is my one. That's I, your I one wanna, as well? Okay. I want to hold me close to Tiny Dancer, although yeah. he's not tiny. Is he? No. I you, I That's part of the fun. Uh, yeah. Six <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. There's a guy on my pub quiz team who's about 6'6", six, six, and he's called Tiny as well. So, you know, there, there we go. <laughs> Um, Carl, is there anything else you want to bring up before we say our say our kind of goodbyes to the listeners
1: um, just you can find me on Twitter at Anchorman616 Anchor spelled A-N-K-A um, and then man and then number 616 uh, my DMs are open so if you have any questions comments or theories or you want to be meaner than the comments in the athletic section normally allow you can reach me there <laughs> um, I am currently writing up an interview with with said for myself, I'm the striker, now coach. Um, so that should be out hopefully tomorrow. I'm going to write like a wind when this podcast is finished. Uh, and I am looking out for stories about the South Coast Derby. So uh, fans have asked me, am I ready for the South Coast Derby? I'm absolutely not ready for the South Coast Derby. Please give me um, photographs, anecdotes, theories, times you've been Times you've not been able to go uh please give me those stories what the South coast derby means to you. Uh, my dms are open, let me know that sort of stuff Carl, as I'm, well
0: I'm going to give you a funny um anecdote about South coast derby just just because you've you've said that and we haven't talked about the South coast derby in this in this episode yet, which is probably actually a, a minor offense as a saints of Sea podcast <laughs> so we can put it we can put it right here uh, but the best man at uh, my wedding right really good friend of mine. He was staying with me in Southampton uh, when we had, a. I think it was the one uh, on our way back ups in the championship, the 1-1 the at St. Mary's. He's not really into his football at all, but he was in Southampton with me. So I was like, look, we're going to get you a ticket, um, which we did. But we were walking across the park, heading towards the stadium as the Portsmouth fans were about you know, the other side of the park and they're getting their police escort, at which point about 15 of them broke through from the police escort and started running across the park straight in our direction. Um, we weren't in colours or anything. They were just running away from the police, but they were running towards us. Then with the police cavalry charging them down. So we had about 15 Portsmouth fans and five police cavalry charging towards us. And I'm there with my friend who doesn't normally go to football at all. Um, it was slightly terrified, but took it in rather good humor. So, um, th- there's lots and lots of anecdotes I'm sure you're going to find, um, about that, but it's, it's always good fun. It's always ferocious. And the mildest mannered Southampton fans, um, transform into these kind of hate fueled uh, Southampton supporting animals when it comes to the South coast derby. It's, it's quite, quite alarming to see.
1: <laughs> I cannot wait. Yeah. Um, I am gonna wear green, uh, so as uh, to not antagonise anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> I'm
0: central. gonna wear
1: green. I'm gonna wear green on as many max days as possible. So yeah. the idea is, if you if you see if you see a very confused looking football journalist walking around wearing green and uh, I sent Marys, it's probably me. So say hello.
0: Okay, <laughs> great. So that's that's out there to Saints FC podcast listeners. Look up Carl on Twitter. You can see his profile and look out for that man wearing green. Say hello. Be friendly to him. He's only just moved to our city, so. Um, we we want to make sure that you you love it here Carl, it's been absolutely uh, great speaking to you um i wonder if you'd care to say tata to our listeners now
1: it's been a pleasure uh tata and i hope uh you have a good season
0: yeah thank you very much and thank you listeners we'll we'll catch up with you next time